Hey, have you ever wondered how it is that God governs the world, and yet we make meaningful choices and have some degree of freedom? Is it all a mystery? Does God control the world in such a way that rules out our freedom? Or do we make significant choices, whether for good or for bad, that in some way shape the future? Does God merely know what we will do, or does he in some sense ensure or make it certain that it's going to happen? If you found yourself asking these types of questions, you're certainly not alone. The question of how God providentially governs the world has been a topic of much discussion in the minds of not only lay people, but brilliant Christian thinkers throughout the centuries. If this question captures your imagination and wonder, then stick around as we discuss four different ways that Christians have thought about God's providence. For this, we've recorded two conversations as there's quite a bit of ground to cover. In part one, we broadly sketch out the four views, and then in part two, we are going to go over some scriptural passages that each proponent might use to support uh, their particular view. Well, ready or not, here's Fred and I talking about how God governs the world. Enjoy. Yeah, so we should, I think we should be good to go. We are recording, so Sweet. whenever you want to start uh, talking about some more crazy theology and <laughs> philosophy ideas. Okay, yeah. Well, hey guys, uh, welcome again to our podcast. This is Mar- Fred and Marcel. Um, today we want to talk about something that we both find really interesting, intriguing, And yet, at the same time, perplexing when you think about it and you're unsure about which way is the right way of thinking about it. Um, And this is the idea of providence or different models of how God governs the world while he has humans who act and are responsible and, and make choices they do all these kind of things that you know humans do every day how how is god sort of the sovereign uh i don't want to use that word how is god the yeah how does he control his creation how does he bring it about to govern maybe just yeah govern 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 is a good yeah how does he bring it about to his intended goals while allowing creatures a certain degree of freedom yeah um i don't know if we can think of a story or sure let's uh let's think of a good good analogy or or story to kind of illustrate this so i thought of a example maybe we can think of a a city right mm-hmm. and the city is ruled by this king and this king is a he's a good and just king um he he has the power to bring about what he he intends to bring about and what he wants to bring about is the best for his city because he cares about um, mm. his citizens who live in his city um, but this king also he has something else and uh, he's got this wizard and this wizard can 
see the future. So oh, yeah, imagine like a crystal ball sort of. Yeah, thing. <laughs> imagine this this wizard can look into the future and he can tell the king exactly what's going to happen, right? And so the king looks into the future one day and he sees uh, one of his uh, citizens, uh, Tom, and Tom is seen in this through this vision or whatever however he's getting this knowledge to the wizard uh todd tom tom (laughs) (laughs) tom goes and he he beats up his neighbor and and robs his neighbor right Mm -hmm. so this this instance of tom is is this question of it helps to illustrate this question of well this king is good and he's just and he he loves his his citizens and he also has the power to to bring about what he wants in in the city yeah um but we're left with this question of why do instances like uh tom happen right or how does how does he incorporate um free acts the thing about good acts is they're easier to understand yeah um does the king allow his subjects to freely make those choices and and contribute to the um the upbuilding of yeah the to the upbuilding of the city or of his kingdom or does he decide exactly what his his subjects are going to do right mm-hmm. and different people might say well if he's a really good king and he's a really just and loving king he wouldn't you know, he wouldn't let them have too much control because things might get out of hand. And, and then you have instances like Tom where he's yeah. beating up his neighbor and, and people are getting hurt. And then somebody else might say, well, there's this value of choices, right? And choices are very instrumental in shaping who we are. Yeah, and he the, values the, the contribution of his of his citizens to this. Uh, building of his kingdom so this mm-hmm. question arises like how is he going to um yeah incorporate the the contribution of his citizens to bring about what he wants for the city right i don't yeah. know does that help illustrate and uh, what you know the idea of providence yeah no i think that's good you know he he, he can he has this wizard who tells him the future um he knows what Tom's going to do, and yet he doesn't seem to mind, uh, or maybe he does mind. It depends really what view you have here. But, um, yeah, you just question, like, how does how does he still intend to bring about this awesome place and this awesome city full well knowing what people in his city are going to do? If they're going to try and thwart his plan, do they really have the ability to thwart his plan? Um, yeah, I yeah. mean, there's so many questions we can yeah, ask. Yeah, but... exactly. I th- but I think it gets at this basic idea of how is does this good king govern his city yeah. and bring about his intent, his intentions and purposes for his for his citizens and, yeah. and for his kingdom. Um, so this introduces the idea of providence and how god governs the world right 
Um, that's just kind of an analogy. Yeah, it's, it's not, not perfect. perfect, right? Um, but we try to, yeah, try to get the essential elements in there in the recipe. Um, yeah, so why don't we just start off and define a couple of things here Yeah, no, to good. jump uh, right into the discussion because what we're going to be talking about is different models of providence um, or different ways Christians have understood um, God governing his world uh, or governing his creation in relation to or how that also incorporates like human freedom right? yeah yeah so i, I don't yeah, think you there's just, anything else I, to say but then i can just talk about some of the um key terms here yeah no we could talk about the terms and yeah let's we'll just roll with that for now yeah let's do that so we're gonna start off with omniscience and this this is kind of gonna get at you know the wizard in the in the story who can see the future um so omniscience it's one of these core attributes it's um of god literally every christian wants to affirm omniscience um yeah, this is just traditional to the ways uh christians have conceived of god um so we have limited knowledge right imagine we're one of these citizens in this city um we don't we might not even know what the purposes of the king would be um so in how that corresponds to real life, like we have limited knowledge, right? We we know some things about the present, right? I know that I'm sitting in this room right now. Yeah. I know what happened a few days ago, although I don't know it perfectly because my memory isn't so great always. Um, <laughs> and I might know what's going to happen tomorrow or, or could happen. I don't know for certain, right? Yeah. So there's... Yeah, this way in which I'm very limited. And I also have a lot of false beliefs, right? I might think that, well, tomorrow I'm just going to wake up and I'm going to go to work. But it might be the case that I wake up and, you know, um, heaven forbid, my house burns down and I have to you yeah. know, run out. And, <laughs> oh, well, I guess I was just wrong about that. Um, so the thing about God is, is that God knows perfectly what's happening in the world right now. He knows everything that's happening, Right. And he knows what happened five minutes ago, what happened 10,000 years ago. But he also knows what's going to happen in the future um, perfectly. Or traditionally, that's what, what we have affirmed as Christians. And this encapsulates the basic idea of God being omniscient. It is to say that God is all-knowing. And so a technical term uh, to kind of bring together this idea is saying that God knows all possible truths. And we also want to add this qualifier that God has no false beliefs. That's generally the definition that a lot of uh, like Christian smart people <laughs> have agreed yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so then there's this other aspect of God knowing the future. We, we kind of hit on it. Um, it, it's the idea of God's foreknowledge. So God knows the future perfectly. Or he doesn't just know the past and the present, but he knows the future um, perfectly. Everything that's going to happen in advance. And this is just to say, basically, God knows what will happen before it happens, right? Um, this term, we shouldn't confuse it with 
for ordination. For ordination is something different. Um, it, it's close, it's related, but it's not the exact same thing. They aren't synonymous. For ordination has carries with it more the weight of intention or bringing something about purposefully or um, hmm. destining something. I don't even know if destiny the king, is a word. The king might decree yeah. that, you know, X, Y, Z comes about. Yeah, he might That's decree that his subjects will all carry five stones tomorrow outside and, the city gate. And drink and a pint of beer. And yeah. he will, he could do that maybe in a way, maybe the wizard has some special power to make them do it freely. So it's the only thing they want to do. Or maybe the king just enforces it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that would be the idea of foreordination, maybe. Uh, that would kind of get at the idea of foreordination. And then there are like two other definitions here that we want to get at that are important for this discussion. And the first one is fatalism. So fatalism is a pretty old idea. And it states essentially that if it is true that something's going to happen tomorrow, then it it must happen. So... The essential, the essential idea of fatalism can maybe be illustrated in this way. Uh, suppose it's the case that some of the subjects in this kingdom, in this city, are going to burn down uh, the king's palace. If it's fated that it's going to happen, there's now nothing the king could do about it. Mm -hmm. Or there's nothing anybody else could do about it. Um, even if they decided that they're going to build a wall, you know, to, to fence in the palace or they're going to put 500 guards in front of it somehow it it will happen regardless of what they do there's now nothing they they can do about it so that's the idea of fatalism right mm -hmm. we talk about yeah and it was fated to happen right yeah most people are, are kind of um familiar with that language and yeah, then there's, there's like there's a there's a truth about something that will happen in the future and so because it is true, it's unavoidable. Yeah. It must happen some way or other. Right? Yeah, the, the best way to understand this maybe from um, that the way it differs from like the idea of determinism is that um, fatalism basically says some, it's true that something's going to happen in the future and it's not it's not like essentially caused by something prior to it. Hmm. That's what fatalism states. So determinism yeah, yeah, right, on the I other understand. hand, um, wants to say that all our actions. So yeah, anything we do from eating vanilla ice cream tomorrow or something horrific as, as a murder, they are determined by prior causes those could be external causes or internal causes, like mental states or, mm -hmm. or different genetic traits. Those can all um, play a role in, in the determination of an act. And yeah. so if that act is determined, that that person couldn't have done otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we might imagine that the king makes it the case that he can determine his subjects to do exactly, you know, what he, he can he can cause them to do exactly what he wants. Determinism doesn't have to be the idea that that somebody else determines you, 
It doesn't have to be the idea that God determines something. A yeah. lot of atheists would be determinists. Yeah. So we're, we're merely, um, yeah, the, the outcome of natural causes, right? Yeah. Maybe think of a maybe a domino domino like the domino effect like the prior domino, you know, knocks yeah. down the domino after that, and domino after that, domino after that. It's it's just this deterministic chain of events that yeah you know, happens. Yeah, maybe you could say like this would be really overly simplistic and but like eating a certain kind of food produces some sort of reaction in your body which impacts your brain which in turn causes you to be aggressive yeah right like you are just very aggressive and so there's a uh and 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 it's not it's not as like you are willfully being aggressive because uh due to the fact that this i don't know let's say some sort of cheese or something like this it it kind of has this this causal chain yeah to 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 cause (laughs) you to be um willfully and voluntarily yeah doing whatever so i think yeah yeah I yeah, will willfully volunteer. I suppose it depends if you want. Somewhat, to say, it's yeah. not always that case, but I, I'm yeah. yeah, maybe I'm thinking a little bit ahead of the game here. But yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. No, that that's good. I think we uh, we covered those essential definitions. So um, omniscience, foreknowledge, um, fatalism, and and, yeah. and determinism. Well, let me just a helpful maybe example from scripture is First Samuel twenty three where the men of Kyla are being attacked by the Philistines. Uh, David says, shall I go attack the Philistines? He inquires of the Lord. The Lord says, yes. David says, will I defeat them? The Lord says, yes. Then David's in the city, and Saul, who's been chasing David, is like, aha, you know, David's locked down in, the, in a city with gates and bars or something like that. And David's like, Abiathar, fetch me the ephod. We're going to do some research. Um, so he's like, Lord, will Saul come and, uh, get me? The Lord says, yes. Will the men of Kyla give me up? And the Lord says, yes. Now the Lord's answer is yes to both of those instead of saying yes twice. So then David asks again, will the men of Kyla give me up? If Saul comes, the Lord says, yes, they will give you up. And then it says, and David got up and left. So this would be an example of God foreknowing. It's not technically foreknowing, but he, he kind of knows a possible future without foreordaining it. He's yeah. not decreeing that the men of Kyla give up David. Rather, he just knows that they will if yeah if David were to stay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a helpful example just to show that that foreknowledge does not necessitate. It doesn't mean that god foreordained something yeah yeah no that's that's super helpful um we're back fred had to save a beer from the fridge yeah (laughs) Uh, all right so where were we yeah so we were just oh right so we were gonna we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about um four models right and that basically yeah how is it that god governs this world while we are free 
and then God has this foreknowledge. God, like the king, has this wizard. Does is the wizard's knowing knowledge the future? The future yeah. Is it doing God any good? Or the king? Yeah, yeah. The king, the king is not right. synonymous with God. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you yeah, it's just those two things to think yeah. about as we think about the four models. Yeah, those are yeah, those are uh, good. Two good questions keep in mind that we're just going to explore with these four different models that, that Christians have thought of in explaining how it is that God rules or governs this world. So why don't we jump in? Actually, there's something we have to talk about before that. Yeah. To just briefly just talk about two ideas of human freedom because those are important to understand before yeah. we jump into these models i know it's taken a little bit of time for us to get into this but these are this is important groundwork for yeah. us to do before we can talk about these four models yeah and and i mean so we're going to talk about two categories or two ways of thinking about freedom or free will yeah. and this is important um especially if you've gotten in discussions with your friends you might be calmly debating it or yelling and screaming at each other um and only to realize maybe later that day in the shower when you're de- you're, you're you're winning the opponent in your debates you know when you debate uh in the shower you but always anyway. win shower like you always win shower debates when you're debating with yourself yeah right you're like well yeah no like if i come with that reply yeah, yeah. just destroy them just yeah. destroy them right? because but, their replies always seem way weaker when you're thinking about it in the- <laughs> yeah 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 and you've had time to think about it but anyways yeah so it's just good to realize that we need to define some terms here so yeah there's two ways of thinking about freedom and the first way of thinking about freedom is uh, free will is the intuitive way of how we might think of it so think about a classic question you may have thought of uh, just kind of ask your parents or you've heard people ask, and that is, well, if God knew 10,000 years ago that I would um, go to school today, did I have any choice to not go to school? Like, how how does, if God knows it, then it seems that I have to do that. I have to go to school, otherwise God could be wrong. And so this whole assumption has... In this question, it has the idea of freedom as being the ability to do uh, X or not X. So you can do something or refrain from doing that. And that's kind of what is understood in this view of freedom. So this this view of freedom is called incompatibilism. And it is by definition, so you, you have the ability to do X or not X. But also, this choice cannot be determined by God. Uh, And that's why it's called incompatibilism. Yeah. Um, Just for anybody who's listening who doesn't know why why it's called that, it's called incompatibilism because it brings together this idea that the freedom to do otherwise or Or human freedom is not compatible with being determined um, and in, in when we're talking in theological terms, um, if you have God in, in your worldview, 
it's not compatible with being determined by God. That's, yeah. That's more or less the basic idea. Um, yeah. Just a, think a, of, a true free choice, even if you didn't have the ability to do otherwise, but you were sort of the source of your action, a true free choice cannot be determined. It, it cannot be determined like that, like sort of if you had to have, if you had like uh, a bunch of ingredients and threw it in the oven, it would pop out the same cake every time. That is not... Um, on this view, that wouldn't work because you could all the same circumstances or surroundings, desires, beliefs could all come together and you could make a different choice at that particular time. And it's not to say this is always the case. We don't always have the ability to do one thing or another, but what the incompatibilist is going to say, and again, incompatibilism is just the idea that God cannot determine what we choose, freely choose, is the incompatibilist is going to say, uh, you as a human can make choices according to your nature. So, you know, there's like like Sam Harris, I think it is, he makes all these kind of straw man arguments against free will. Oh, you know, you can't will to be a, bird and fly away yeah obviously not that's not what the incompatibilist view of freedom is it's just saying that your choice cannot be determined and you at least sometimes possess the ability to have you know for example you go into the the ice cream parlor you can choose strawberry or vanilla you weren't you know you have the ability to i don't know if that yeah. No, that that's uh, that's a good illustration. Um, yeah. So, and then what's the um, the second view? Yeah. So the second view is called compatibilism, and so this is basically the idea that free will is compatible with being determined by God, and so this is the the view that maybe isn't so intuitive right off the bat. Basically what this view says is that nothing external to you can force you or coerce you to make a choice. If that were the case, then it wouldn't be a free choice. So for you to make a choice, it has to be completely voluntary. But again, coming to this thing of nothing external to you can determine you, but what is internal to you can. So what does that mean? Well, your psychological state at a certain moment let's say when you're going you're driving home from work and you're thirsty you're like what what am i going to drink when i get home from work and so given all the things at at that particular moment when you made a decision in your car and you say i'm gonna have coke instead of pepsi uh given all the ingredients you would have made that choice because you kind of chose what you most wanted to do and that that psychological state in your mind determines what you will choose does that or am i kind of butchering it no that that makes sense so it's not nothing external to you can determine you but what is internal to you uh like your beliefs desires your wishes whatever they can determine your choices so basically if 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 the 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 
story was rewinded and played over, it would just be the same every single time. You would make the same choice every single time because all the ingredients are there. And those ingredients sort of pop out a cake, so to speak. You know? Yeah. Um, and so... If you have all the ingredients to your... Yeah, if you have all these ingredients and you put them together, it will always result in the exact same thing, right? Yeah. Because those ingredients determine exactly what's going to result. Yeah. The, namely this cake, which your actions aren't a cake, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so you ask, well, how, okay, so how is this compatible with God determining it? Well, basically, God, through either directly or indirectly through various means, fine-tunes your desires. So he fine-tunes your desire for Coke over Pepsi so that you will want Coke over Pepsi. Like, because because he, he kind of fine-tunes those dials, boom, out pops the, yeah. you know, the exact thing God wants. Because, again, like we said... If all the dials or like all the ingredients are there, it will result in a certain outcome. And so God just kind of puts all the ingredients in and boom, out pops your right. The, the right thing. But because in your mind, it seems like the thing you most want. So you most want Coke tonight instead of Pepsi. It is a free choice because you didn't, you weren't forced. Nobody was putting a gun to your head saying you must drink Coca-Cola. Yeah. No, you were like, yes, this is what I mostly want. And so it's a voluntary thing, even though it was determined that it would be that choice. Okay, so that's good. We've got the two models then laid out. Um, so yeah. with that behind us, we're going to jump into the two views here. Four views, sorry. There are four views, not just two views. And <laughs> so... How we're going to do this is think of these four views as like a gradient. So on the one end, we've got God has the most control and humans have maybe like the least amount of freedom or they have very restricted freedom. And then on the far end, we have maybe God has least control and humans have the most amount of freedom. And as mm -hmm. we move from the one end of the spectrum to the other, you might think of the control um, level going down and the, the human freedom level going up. And it's more or yeah. less how we're going to move through these four views. Yeah. So, yeah. But why don't you just uh, go ahead and then start with the first one. Okay, yeah. So we have the first view here, theistic determinism. And this particular way of thinking about how God governs the world is going to say that everything that comes to pass... God has determined to come to pass. Um, your God knows the future precisely because he is intentionally bringing it about, or he, he, he plans on bringing it about. There's no sort of permission or letting his creatures do this or that. No, God intentionally brings about every event. And so uh, recall that we just talked about the two views of freedom. The first view that we talked about, compatibilism, the view that says our free choices are compatible with being determined by God, this is the view that is kept in mind here in the theistic determinism model. This is how God can plan 
and bring about every single event. Nothing thwarts his plan. Nothing um, sort of frustrates his desires because everything happens exactly how God wants it to because there is no such thing as, as a human creature making a choice that God doesn't want because if God wanted it, he would just determine that the creature freely choose something right. else. Yeah. And so it's very important that you remember the compatibilist idea of freedom is kept in mind here. So, um, yeah, I guess I could lay out some, some advantages and then some drawbacks. And I kind of hinted at it, but some advantages would be that God has maximum control. Everything will happen just as God intends because he determines everything. Um, God perfectly directs his creation and sort of his will for the, for his creation. Uh, he can, the, the, the proponent of this view, the defender of this view has an easy time affirming a significant amount of scriptural passages, uh, that have the nature of this and this will happen in the future, or Christ was foreknown before the foundations of the world, or, you know, all these kind of passages that speak about something that will happen for sure, you know, (laughs) right? Uh, Yeah. Like prophecy is just a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so some drawbacks would be that this view redefines human freedom. It's not as we would intuitively understand it, that you could have done X or refrained from X, um, or that you as a human, you as Marcel or me as Fred, I am not the ultimate source of my action. There is sort of a higher source than me that is um, acting on me, so to speak, to to do these things, even though, again, I am doing this voluntarily and in the compatibilist framework, I am doing this freely and I'm responsible because I, (laughs) I'm doing what what I I most want. Right. Uh, and so, yeah. So following from this evil is either directly or indirectly brought about by God, but yeah, it's, it makes one kind of uncomfortable because it's not just, God isn't just uh, determining that I help, uh, you know, Gertrude with her groceries out of the car. Yeah. God is also determining that I wow, cheat on my wife or something, you know, like yeah. s- heinous things that uh, that my family's destroyed or whatever, that I run over that kid, or, you know. So that is something the determinist has to deal with. Yeah, you, you can't say, it's it's at least it's very hard to say on this view um, and be consistent. It's very hard to say that God doesn't want that, evil to happen he yeah. didn't want you he, he did not want you to cheat on your wife it's it's yeah i mean it's, yeah. it's kind of difficult to to make a case um, yeah. for that in this view but so that that's a that is a significant drawback of this view and and we'll and, yeah. yeah so no and we'll, we're i think when we get to when we kind of talk about scripture passages in the next episode or the part two whatever we'll talk about this because there's there's this whole thing of in scripture of God having unfulfilled desires. Right. At least it seems like that from what yeah. scripture's teaching us. Now, yeah, again, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but yeah. Yeah, well, we'll uh, jump into that. Yeah, so why don't you talk about the next one? Um, yeah. Molinism, or, or as it's also known as middle knowledge. Yeah, the middle knowledge view. And again, I'm not going to get into why I'm saying Molinism or middle knowledge, but they're very similar. 
uh, it's just middle knowledge is a facet of Molinism, but Molinism can also be sort of a wider sort of soteriology. But let's just say the middle knowledge view. Number two is the middle knowledge view. So this view is, it's pretty complicated, especially if you've never heard of it and you've never really like delved into the whole foreknowledge and free will thing. But basically what this view says is that God has what is known as middle knowledge. And so what middle knowledge is, is this uh, sort of, realm of knowledge that God has before creating the world, God knows what any possible human could do in any possible circumstance. But it's not as if God, like in the previous view, is determining what these creatures, what these human creatures do. Rather, the, these are free actions in the incompatibilist sense. They are they're choices that the humans are making in and of themselves, and it's undetermined by God. And so God just has knowledge of all of these possible choices that I would make in any given circumstance, or Marcel would make, or whoever, you know, uh, Adolf Hitler or Barack Obama, whatever. God has knowledge of how this person would act in any given circumstance before he even decides, and I'm using quote, decides, uh, air quotes, to create the world that he he wants. And so when God does decide what world he wants to create, he can't just bring about any world because there may be choices you or I make that frustrate his plan or like don't fit well into his plan. And so he doesn't incorporate these choices into his world. And so again, this, this, this view assumes the kind of intuitive view of freedom. Um, yeah, does that yeah. kind of make sense? I'm laying it out or is it? Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. Um, definitely makes sense to me because I've heard it <laughs> any times that yeah. I know I understand the view. Um, yeah, it, I, I, it makes sense. Think of God. He can choose to create um, which, uh, a few different worlds. And when he he looks in that world, it comes like a, like a full package almost. And he can see all the hundreds of millions of paths, right? Imagine there's hundreds of millions of paths in each of these worlds and each path has a fork and it splits yeah, into more right. paths. And he knows exactly um, what each person on every particular path, he knows which fork of the road they'll go down, but he yeah. doesn't make them go down that fork. And it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around that. But once you understand that, you can think of uh, the fact that um, here God can know that somebody might do an evil act, right? And he doesn't want them to do it. But he can nevertheless create that world um, if that world um, brings about the intended goal he wants for his creation yeah. yeah maybe you know god sees sort of we talked about tom doing beating up his neighbor god before creating the world sees that tom will beat up his neighbor um he brings those circumstances about but because you might say 
oh, because there's ripple effects to Tom beating up his neighbor. Maybe this moment of them him beating him up had some sort of like you know it, it just shaped them for the rest of their lives and then later on tom and his neighbor become such close friends and there's just this beautiful sort of character yeah, building this act going of on. reconciliation that might have happened or it might not have happened in a different world where say tom didn't beat up his neighbor yeah but they never ended up becoming friends there was never this valuable act of reconciliation yeah yeah Jake, Jake's invading the podcast. <laughs> we can pause this and roll yeah. later because I don't think he has another mic. Yeah, so some advantages to the Molinistic or middle knowledge view would be that God can have the most amount of freedom possible without constraining human freedom. So humans have freedom in this intuitive sense. Humans have freedom in the incompatibilistic sense but god also has the most control he can have um this the doctrine of middle knowledge if if it's true explains a great deal of of sort of it just sheds light on a lot of things within scripture um if you think of inspiration how how can God bring about his inspired word through free creatures? Well, God knew the exact circumstances to place, say, Tertius, or in the letter of Romans, or Paul, in so that he would freely write exactly what he wanted him to write. So, um, yeah, that's just one example. I mean, there's so many things. We could probably do a podcast where we talk about Molinism more in depth and kind of how it just explains a lot of things if it's true but we really should because we didn't even nobody knows up to this point why it's called middle knowledge right yeah, yeah. that's uh that's for another podcast yeah because it, it gets really nerdy really quick yes. so I'm trying and we're to... trying to make it simple here yeah and so nobody turns it off and walks away and starts crying because they can't understand Molinism <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding um which which ones did you all mention? I just did the advantages. I can do the disadvantages. Oh, you did now. all the advantages? Okay, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Give us some uh, disadvantages. Why m- might I not like this view? Yeah, so at least in the philosophical um, realm, people don't like this because they, th- they don't see how God could even know these things. Um, usually you want to say that... Th- what I would do, what Fred would do in any given circumstance is sort of grounded in the world. Uh, what what grounds the truth of these things, these these hypothetical truths in God God's mind? What grounds them? What makes them true? Uh, maybe you don't feel the force of this. <laughs> Philosophers do. And uh, it's, 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 it is, yeah, it is something that is worth thinking about. Uh, but then maybe just in the less sort of nerdy things, um, while God does not cause, uh, so in, in the case of the story about Tom beating up his neighbor, while God does not cause that, he does intentionally create the circumstances in which Todd will freely commit these, um, morally problematic things or actions, sorry, 
Um, now, in some ways, this is this is like an affirmation of what what the Bible says. You know, Joseph says to his brothers, "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good." You know, but there are other examples where it's it's difficult for us to see the um, the over sort of the good that would come about through these actions and so that's just kind of another thing like we we think about the amounts of evil in this world we think about the really terrible things that have happened and we ask ourselves did god like is is god really justified in allowing these things is there really uh a greater good whether that be for the furthering of the kingdom or developing the characters of his of his um, humans, yeah. especially those that believe in Jesus, uh, is it really justified, you know, or yeah. is it uh, gratuitous? And what gratuitous means is meaningless, meaningless evil, or yeah. does not um, is not necessary to bring about a greater good. Yeah. Um, so somebody might be listening to this, a Christian, be like, "Well, how can you say like God isn't justified in bringing that about?" Um, so when you're thinking of this problem, um, think of it in terms of examining the internal coherence of the view, right? You're trying to square, uh, the goodness of God with certain amounts of evil. Um, would a good God bring certain evils about, um, if he could bring lesser evils about to produce the same goods, desired effect, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's really a question of internal coherence and how you justify that. I know, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it's just an important thing to remember. It's not this kind of like, well, you know, God, you can't do that. It's, it's, it's the question of, can God do that in a sense of internal coherence? Does this view, can this view make sense of that? Um, because yeah, we're not exactly talking about the problem of evil in this yeah. podcast but the problem of evil is an objection raised to um a christianity or christian theism um or maybe think of the problem of pain or the problem of suffering yeah and those are often just like how could god allow these things and it, it's a way of saying well the amounts of evil in the world just is not compatible with what you're claiming um about god so yeah, that I'm just trying to lay that out there. Um, yeah. That it's it's a question of internal coherence of a view. It's it's examining whether and, it can hold together. And we're not we're not exhausting the the advantages and the disadvantages of each view. We're not even bringing up the responses yeah. to these because there are some really great yeah. replies to like a lot of these. Um, yeah, and yeah. Even like the theological determinist view uh, or theistic determinism. Um, some of them will, they will harness a, a certain response to the problem of evil, not the yeah. traditional kind of you, you have freedom and you make free choices. There's another very well-known, um, response to the problem of evil that they will harness as well. We haven't brought that up here. Um, so we're not, we're not bringing up all the replies. We're just taking, um, on the immediate advantages and disadvantages that each view brings forward. So, yeah, yeah, yeah well, we'll. So we've we've done the first two views. Why don't you uh, go on to the next view? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to just talk about the uh, view, and it's called simple foreknowledge. And 
what this view um, wants to say is that God simply knows the future. This view doesn't particularly um, or necessarily subscribe to a way in which God knows the future or how God knows the future. All they want to say is God knows the future and he knows it exhaustively. And this is a pretty traditional view in Christian theology. A lot of um, early Christians held to something like this. Um, yeah, j just the idea that God uh, knows the future exhaustively, but doesn't cause all things. And so those who hold to this view, they might say something like, God knows that an event will happen um, because, or he knows this because Tom, for instance, in the, in the story of Tom beating up his neighbor, he knows it because Tom decided to do this. God's knowledge is in a way dependent. Um, they might not want to use the, the language of God's knowledge is caused. That's a little bit too strong. And if that difference that seems irrelevant here, that's okay. Um, just get the basic idea that God gets this knowledge because he sees them doing it. He doesn't get the knowledge because he makes them do it. Um, so God sees what happens in the future. Um, that's the basic idea. So what are some advantages and disadvantages to this model? So one advantage is it ensures this idea of human freedom, the intuitive view of human freedom, where I can either choose, um, you know, the, the first option, option A or option B. Um, and in this sense, evil is truly the intention of humans. God doesn't intend evil. It's not like he wants to bring it about. Um, God also knows the future with certainty and he can know the outcome of creation. So this upholds the traditional understanding of God's omniscience. Mm -hmm. And then another advantage is it upholds the power to explain passages in scripture. It can strongly affirm um, passages of, of prophecy and, and, and God bringing certain things about. I will say here that people hold to simple foreknowledge. Um, they don't just want to say that God just knows everything. They do want to say that God does sometimes intentionally bring things about. So that's just an important thing to remember. So there is a disadvantage to this view, and some people see it as, as fatal to this view. So it basically goes like this. If you remember, I said God knows that Todd, or sorry, Tom is going to rob his friend's house and, and beat him up because Tom decides to do that. So God looks in the future. He sees that. Well, think of it this way. God um, infallibly knows things, right? That means he can't be wrong about them. So then when he sees uh, Tom doing this, he now knows it's going to happen. It's true that it's going to happen. So God can't intervene and stop it right? Because that would be a logical uh, contradiction, right? It, um, it can't be, be simultaneously be. true and false, right? So it's not a question of God's power. It's just a question of, of it, it can't simultaneously be the case that Tom robs his house and that he doesn't rob his house. It's just those, it, that's just called the law of non-contradiction. So what people 
who are who kind of critique this view want to say is that well look this kind of ties god's hands um so to speak because he might be able to see the future exhaustively but that doesn't really help him because as soon as he sees it right now he sees it and there's nothing he can do about it right yeah so that you might see that as a kind of like a fatal flaw here now there are replies to this as we said to a lot of these views and these disadvantages and advantages there's replies and critiques but we don't have time to really go into that here but yeah just bring that one out and then yeah so with that i'll jump into the next view and this is the last view and so i feel that theological determinism was radical you know god determining everything that's coming um about we have another view that's radical but it's on the other side of the spectrum so this view is called open theism and this view is a lot newer than the other views molinism comes about around um 500 years ago in the catholic counter-reformation um theistic determinism goes probably further a lot um Augustine. A lot further back, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of people say Augustine was at the end of his life, um, kind of a theistic determinist, um, and the idea of simple foreknowledge is just really old. It goes back to the earliest Christian tradition. But open theism is is fairly new, and so this view wants to say that, well, God doesn't exhaustively know the future, and that's just the radical claim of it. God doesn't stop certain actions because he doesn't know how humans will act in the future. He doesn't know what they're going to do, essentially, until they do it. Um, Open theism wants to uphold this understanding of freedom that humans make real choices between different possibilities. But, of course, they deny that God can know these beforehand. So there are different strands of open theism, and this is going to be important in understanding some of the advantages and disadvantages um so uh, yeah some of those views there is one view of open theism that wants to say that god doesn't know the future because he can't it's not possible to know the future right because Mm -hmm. the future doesn't exist now this goes back to some of the things we talked about in our episode on god and time um yeah, essentially, they want to say that the future doesn't yet exist. God can't know um, that. So it's not it's not an issue of power or something God lacks. It's just yeah. a logical um, contradiction for, for God to... Because, yeah. you know, sometimes you see in sort of po- like kind of popular critiques that God doesn't know the future on open theism. Or, oh, sorry, God is not all-knowing. But this is not what the open, the open theists affirms that God is all knowing. The thing is, to know the future isn't even possible. So g- God can't know the impossible, right? And I think that's yes. kind of what you're talking about. Like, yeah, God cannot know what cannot be known by definition. So it's not as if God is not all knowing. Right, He is all knowing. Yeah, he because just... remember we um, said that omniscience. uh, as defined is um, God knows all possible truths. Well, they would say the future isn't in that realm of possible truths. It's not in that content of reality for God to know. And so that's why God can't know it. And 
yeah, there are some open theists who would just say God doesn't know the future at all. There are some open theists who are going to say God chooses not to know the future. He kind of restrains his knowledge, and he might do that um, out of love or to um, uphold or ensure this this valuable um, component of human freedom. And then there's another um, version of open theism that says God doesn't know the future exhaustively, but he does know it partially. He has kind of like partial foreknowledge. Um, and in this idea, going back to how we were talking about the future not being possibly, it, it's not possible for God to know the future. Well, what they want to say is that the future, um, the, the world is composed of the past and the present right? And God knows those perfectly. But the future is composed of things that might happen, right? So here God knows, certainly, he knows with certainty that at a particular time that Tom might rob his friend's house. He also knows that Tom might not rob his friend's house. Um, but he doesn't know that Tom will rob his friend's house. So the future is composed of uh, possibilities. Mm -hmm. And these have different um, probabilities assigned to them. And God knows those perfectly. But he doesn't decide which one will become real or which one will actually come to pass. He just knows those. And so in, in this view, again, it upholds that God is omniscient, right? Or at least they want to claim that God is omniscient because he knows everything that can be possibly known, whether it's things that have happened or that things that might happen. Mm -hmm. um, so open theism has some advantages in as much as it upholds this value, this idea of freedom, right? The idea that we can choose between two options and it succeeds in not implicating God in evil because God doesn't know about the evil that's going to happen. He can't force you to do one action or the other. He can't force Tom not to rob his friend's house. And he doesn't know for sure that Tom is going to rob his house. So God isn't implicated in that evil. So those are two advantages, the strong view of freedom and God not implicating evil. And then um, also on the understanding, remember we just talked about the, a last version of open theism where God partially knows this future. Um, here, God's foreknowledge opposed to the view we talked about previously where God just sees things, um, but they've already happened. So it's too late for him to do anything about it. Here, God can use this partial foreknowledge where he sees the possibilities of the future or what might happen. And he can act in response to those to to bring certain things about, right? He can he can kind of shape the future and and bring about uh, what he wants, even though the the people who are acting in the world still do it freely. He can put certain things in place and yeah. So then there's a couple disadvantages though. And the first one is simply that this view has some serious difficulty affirming certain um, things in scripture, such as prophecy, um, just think of 
God saying such and such will happen. God says in uh, 1 Kings 13 that um, a king will be raised up and he will burn the bodies of these priests on the altar. He, he um, the, when the word of the Lord comes to Jeroboam, um, Christ prophesies that Peter will deny him uh, three times before the rooster crows. That's strong language. That's will. That's not might. Okay. And that's going to open up for an, another critique that I'm going to get to um, in a second. But another just a big drawback here is that God is kind of charged to have poor control over his creation. Um, he can't ensure that the kind of goals he wants for his world can come about because he doesn't know for certain that it will come about. Yeah. He only knows that it might come about and he can kind of hope that his creatures will cooperate with him. Um, yeah. So I, I hope I'm not like straw manning it there. Um, but yeah. And then the last one is just that I think of where I talked about of, about prophecy. So there's um, a Christian philosopher named William William Lane Craig who brings up this critique against open theism, whereas open theism says that God doesn't know the future, but simultaneously some open theists want to say that, yeah, when it says in in scripture that um, Christ prophesies Peter's denial. It's going to happen. Yeah. You end up with this thing where God kind of has to squeeze this action out of Peter. So he has to violate this, this component of human freedom that open theism wants to uphold, right? And that God in, in this version of open theism wants to uphold. He has to violate it in order to bring about his will. And so it, it kind of uproots that, that key aspect of it that, that they want to uphold and, Again, there are replies to this, but that's just a, a really interesting and, um, yeah, like a, a difficult objection, I think, that, that's been yeah. brought up um, that just kind of shows that they actually almost land in the same place as the, the theological determinist when it comes to these uh, things about prophecy. But yeah, that's about all I have for those um, two views, open theism and simple foreknowledge. Yeah. So I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add on well, onto those i think maybe in defense of well, this really works for any position that holds to free will uh you make your decisions and your decisions make you in the sense of uh i know like al rhoda talks about he's an open theist and he talks about how it's very probable that peter actually didn't have a free choice when he denied christ because he had made decisions along the road to bring him to that point where he, you know, kind of like, uh, you, you turn down so many streets to the point where you reach a dead end. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he made his decisions, which end up making him. Hmm. And so, I mean, this is really defense. Any person who holds to the incompatibilist view can make that you are ultimately still responsible for that choice even though you didn't have for that kind of like Peter's denied oh, yeah, Christ, yeah. right? I see, yeah. Because he did not, because, you know, maybe he, he went to, you know, as Matthew says, he went to see the end and then he goes and stands by the fire and he, you know, I don't know, like I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but we can think, anybody can think of a decision they made in their life that was really detrimental 
but maybe in the in the time that they made that choice they didn't have and they didn't have another option but they could look back and they could see all the really bad choices they made before maybe you're really addicted to cocaine and now constantly you're you know you're going on these binges of doing cocaine but there was that time three years ago where your friend was like hey come party with me come party and so you're like fine i'll come party with you and you get into you know you made that decision there there where you could have refrained of of going with your friend you made that decision and that at that moment you kind of put yourself in a rut you know kind of thing no that's that's good yeah that's that's really um yeah no that's that's really well put um that might be how jesus knows yeah but Hmm. now again i'm not i'm not an open theist but i'm i'm trying to think of how to like really any view that wants to say um like it's not like any view is going to say we don't always have free choices, yeah for sure right? yeah um, yeah yeah oh crap i was gonna say something else now but i forget where i was going it's all right with. we have a we're gonna do the a part two on this um and yeah. just talk oh, about oh. scriptural passages and, and things like that so if you forget <clears throat> it now you can uh, bring it up in the next episode <laughs> what, what i want to say is is a lot of times you'll hear that people on the theistic determinist side the particularly from the like well the reform tradition that's what they are but they're gonna say oh you know like i don't want to use the word armenian because again that's not the only position that holds to the incompatibilist view of freedom or the intuitive view but they're going to say oh yeah they just believe in this because they want humans to have all the control they can have and you know give me liberty or give me death autonomy you know gotta have this but this is not why there are so many christians that want free will in the intuitive sense free will in the incompatibilist sense no, it it they want it because there's this very um, strong intuition that if your choice is determined, then um, the person who determines it or the thing that determines it is ultimately responsible. So they're trying to defend God. They do not want to implicate God in any sense for the evil that is in this world. And so when you say, all these folks that are saying, no, no, whether God knows the future, knows our future free acts, or he doesn't, the reason they want a freedom that is incompatible with God determining it is precisely because they want to glorify God. They want to keep God evil free. You know, yeah. God is not the right. author of our sin in any sense. And of course, the 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 theistic determinist or the Calvinist, because that's they're from that tradition, but they're going to say, no, 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 God is not the author of sin. But it seems to follow from that, that if God determined that you would sin, that he is the ultimate mover of that. And and this is exactly why the folks that like the incompatibilist view of freedom, that they're going to say, no, we cannot have that. Yeah, I, it comes God. back down to like uh, the language of intention, right? I think the... Like we, you can talk about, you know, what, what type of causation it is, right? There's this different type of, like, distinguishing between the types of causes and stuff. But it, it really comes down to intention, or or what does, what does God really want? And you end up having to say, on this view of theistic determinism, 
it, it's hard to not say um, that God doesn't want that. And so other Christians who have held to view where they, they think God can't determine your free actions, they don't want to say that because, I mean, I don't think anybody should want to say that. And, and theistic determinists don't want to say that, but that's that's the conclusion that that comes from making those affirmations that yeah uh, they make it's it's hard to to get out of that um and so that's what they they want to make very clear uh the christians who don't hold to this view that god is not in any way implicated implicated in evil and he does not desire to bring about evil he doesn't intend it he doesn't it's not something he wants in his world mm-hmm. um yeah. it's simply the logical entailment i don't think that may be a little strong but it is just the entailment of having of creating creatures who have the ability to choose other than what god wills that is you know that is the uh, kind of just the entailment of the the incompatibilist position i don't know if that's where you're going with that but yeah i was just showing that like the the driving um yeah, the, the driving force there is because they are they see the conclusion that they're strongly against this idea that that God could in, intend or want evil in that in that way. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense, but yeah, um, no, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think next time we'll we're gonna. I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll we're gonna have a bunch of scriptural passages. And we'll read one, and then we'll maybe discuss how each view would think through this, and maybe th- or just yeah have some critiques for how each view might view this and how we think they're wrong or right or whatever. I don't I don't know. Yeah, we, we don't have something anything set in stone, but yeah, we want to go over just some scriptural passages because this is ultimately very important to anybody who sees the Bible as divine revelation of. Right. Of not only who God is, but also who we are as humans. So yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good note to end on. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Hopefully, uh, whoever uh, is listening to this um, enjoyed listening to it, and uh, yeah, stay tuned for part two if you want to dive into how this relates to scripture. Sweet. All right. Well, we'll see you around. Cheers. Cheers.